0: Liberty's leave policy was tremendous. Having the ability to take 16 weeks off fully paid to bond with my child was an incredible experience. At Liberty Mutual, you can find a career that supports you at every step, even baby steps. We offer up to 16 weeks parental leave for new moms and dads. And because not everyone's pathway to parenthood looks the same, we offer robust fertility, surrogacy, and adoption benefits too. Learn more at libertymutualcareers.com and pursue your tomorrow today. Two men driving to work one morning witness a terrifying and impossible creature. And then we travel to Boston to meet a young man who has repressed memories. He's blocked out entire portions of his childhood because it was too painful to even comprehend. But when a wave of terrible memories comes crashing over him, he realizes there's only one thing to do become a killer today on dead rabbit radio hey everyone welcome back to another episode of dead rabbit radio i'm your host jason carpenter i'm having a great day i hope you guys are having a great day too i hope you guys are having tons of fun out there in the world we got a bunch of stuff to cover, so we're gonna get started right away. First off, walking into Dead Rabbit Command is one of our legacy Patreons. Everyone, get on your feet and give a good round of applause for TK. Woohoo, yeah! Woohoo, yeah, wee yeah! TK, woo, yeah, come on in to Dead Rabbit Command. TK is actually not his real name. His name, I don't know what it was. It was probably something inappropriate because Patreon just has him listed as invalid ID. But TK, that's the first two letters of your email address. So I hope that you know that I'm talking to you and not trying to talk to you. But I want to make sure you get credit because you've been a longtime Patreon supporter. TK, you're going to be the captain, the pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand. I really do just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That helps out so much. It really does. TK, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Dead Rabbit dune buggy. We're leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. Drive us all the way out too. Mexico. Driving out all the way down south to Mexico. Specifically, we're headed to Chiapas, Mexico. We're in the late 1990s. And as TK is driving us down there, we see another car driving through the area. This car is being driven by a man. We're going to call him Charlie. He didn't give his name online. Charlie and his co-worker were carpooling to work this day. It's early in the morning, it's dawn, really. sun is just coming up and they're like, hey, let's get to work. He described this area, he goes, the area we were driving through of Chiapas was a suburban area, so it would be like a couple houses, a building, and then an undeveloped field, and then a couple more houses, a couple more houses, building, building, undeveloped field. You know, just kind of like a standard suburban area that's still starting to grow. And Charlie says as we're driving past this grassy field, we see in the field this huge black dog. And it's running towards them. And he specifically said it was tall. It's not that it was like a big, bulky load of the ground dog. It was a really, really tall dog. It's running across the field. And when Charlie and the coworker are looking at the dog, the dog is looking at them now and it slows down. It's walking towards them now. It's still moving towards this car that's driving by. And I'm assuming that Charlie, that they're actually slowing down as well, because it's such an odd sight, and they actually get a really good look at this. I don't think they were flying by at 60 miles an hour. Charlie says, me and my coworker were watching this dog, this really uh, abnormally tall dog walk, first run and then walk towards us. And he said, when you get a good look at the dog, it's not just that it was tall. The dog had two faces. And he described it as one half of the face was a dog's face, which is what you would expect on a dog. But the other half of the face was a man's face. He says he's looking at this dog across this field. Half of its face is that of a man. He said it was a Hispanic man. And the face had really sharp features. And he goes, both me and my coworker saw it. We both saw this. It's impossible, right? Like, how can you you can picture it in your head like as like maybe like a cartoon or a drawing, but once you kind of start to think of because a dog head is so much longer than a human's head, there would be a lot of deformity. <laughs> I guess having a human face on a dog is a deformity. But you know what I mean? Like the snout comes out. I don't think then it was like a clean cut. And then you have. Or did the human face. Did the nose turn into the snout. Was it a big human face. Was the human face. like? I guess I'm, I'm really. I'm really focusing on the minor details. The point is this dog had a human face. Maybe it was. A normal human sized face. Maybe the face was all distorted. To, to look like a dog. But be a human face. You know what I mean. That's not how I picture it. I picture it like it's like when prince dressed up as Batman and Joker, like he has a line down his face and when he- t- that's what I imagine like if you saw the dog from one angle, you would see the snout it would look like a normal dog, but then when it turned when it turned towards you and went bat dance, you would see that it had a human like a totally normal human face, so it's not like his jaw was all morphed out into the <laughs> like the Morphine and Snoop Doggy Dogs video. I don't I think it was just a normal human face on the like the right side is how I imagine it too. I don't know why I have the detail in my head, but the human face is on the right side, and it looks normal, and the snout is all just like protruding, but it's not part of the human mouth. Does that make sense? You're <laughs> like, Jason, it kind of made sense the first time he said it. <laughs> now I'm super confused. And when did Prince ever sing about Batman? <laughs> You're like Googling that. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a second. Is Jason having some sort of weird fit? Or did Prince actually dress up as Joker in the Batman? <laughs> Super distracting. I know. I'm so sorry. You're like, what? Anyways, that's what they saw. And um Charlie goes, terrified him obviously, right? It'd be so frightening. You wouldn't be like taking out your notebook. You're like, let's do a little sketch. It's horrifying to see something like this. And he goes, even thinking about it today, like this happened back in the 1990s, he goes, even thinking about it nowadays, it brings tears to my eyes. Scared of tears. He wasn't like, oh, those, those dawn memories with my buddy. No, it was like, it terrifies him. It's an interesting story. Um, It was posted online by a guy going, or I call him Charlie, but he goes by the name The Mystic Mind. It's an interesting story. I think this is one of those stories that honestly could be a werewolf. That's what a lot of people were saying online, that he caught a werewolf mid-transformation. That would check as far as the time, right, dawn happening. And then, uh, because I read that book, Breaking Dawn, and had a bunch of werewolves in it. You have the possibility it's a werewolf. It's possible that it's an unknown cryptid. It's some sort of beast. It's possible that it's a cursed man. I mean, it's different than a werewolf. A man, like, cursed to walk the... I <laughs> guess technically, yeah, sure, it's a werewolf. But you guys know how much I hate people being forced to turn into things against their will. Could be a man being like, uh... All, like, freaking out and stuff like that. This is interesting, too, because it could actually be one of the more stories that we could give a plausible answer to it could have been a dog with mange right it could have been a dog that was suffering some sort of like fur loss but he then again like he clearly recognized it as a human's face not just the dog that had lost some hair and they both saw it it's interesting it's also interesting to note that years ago it still stands as one of my favorite episodes. Um, we had another encounter in Mexico. I'll put it in the show notes. I'm not going to give the ending away of the episode, but those of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, we had another encounter in Mexico. Um, I think that's all I can say without giving it away. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, very, very fascinating story, though. Like That's the time you don't expect to see anything spooky. You're driving to work. It's the morning. And you see something that was so terrifying, so impossible, that even thinking about it to this day brings tears to your eyes. You're not supposed to see stuff like that in the middle of the suburbs in the morning on your way to work. That's supposed to be, at the very least, stories and fairy tales, and at the very most, haunting the darkness outside of town. But here this creature was, walking around as the sun rose. TK, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carboner Copter. We are leaving behind Mexico. Fly us all the way out to Boston, Massachusetts. <laughs> I want to give a shout out. I got... I had never heard of this story before, and I got most of my information, and I found out about this story reading an article on Morbidology. They do a lot of true crime stuff on there. It was written by Emily Thompson. Let's go back to May 2011. We're going to be hanging out on Saratoga Street. We're about to meet a young teenager named Marco Tulio Flores. He's 17 years old, and he's over at the house of a very close family friend in a very tight-knit community. And this friend's name is Jamie... Galdamez. He's 31 years old. Now, pretty much everyone in this community, this is in East Boston, they're immigrants from El Salvador. And so generally that happens. You have people kind of move up together and you're like, hey, let's go to this area. I know a cousin who's living there and then they move in there and then more people come up from another country and they're like, hey, let's go. Out here. You know, my brother lived out here and you see everything's going really good. We got that's how we have like Chinatown and little Russia and all these ethnic groups, which would make sense. Right. You're not going to be like, hello, Ohio. And you're just walking around in the middle of a farm. You're like, yeah, I just got here from Bulgaria. Um, anyone know of a good Bulgarian joint to grab a meal at? Well, anyways, Marco is over at Jamie's house. I think they were having like a gathering or something like that. I don't think he was over uninvited, but uh, Marco's over at Jamie's house. Longtime family friend, upstanding member of this community. Marco sees a photograph. And it's a photograph of Jamie. And Marco's six-year-old nephew. Now, again, this is a very close community. They have a lot of bonds together. So it's not unusual. It wouldn't be unusual to have a picture of two unrelated people. Because they're all brothers. But when Marco sees this photograph of Jamie standing next to Marco's six-year-old nephew, it's like a dam burst. Within a second... Years and years of traumatic memories began to overcome Marco. He had repressed so much for so long. He had forgotten. He had completely buried what Jamie had done to him. But he remembers it now. When Marco was a little boy running around, saratoga street everyone knew him good little marco great kid gets in trouble every once in a while but you know what boy doesn't and he had very positive interactions with jamie but when marco turned nine jamie's attitude towards marco changed the relationship seemed to change Marco couldn't really place it at first. You know, he doesn't know. He just realizes that uh Jamie's acting differently around him. This adult who'd previously just been a guy that he, you know, big family gatherings hang out, he knew him. Now it's different. He's treating me differently. Didn't know what it was. What it was was grooming. But, you know, a child doesn't know that term he didn't didn't realize what was going on he didn't understand the predatory nature that jamie now had for this young boy when he turned nine right when he turned to what jamie was attracted to because jamie was obviously a big old pervert and that's where this story's headed he began molesting marco after he turned nine and it lasted until marco uh hit puberty So three, four, five years, this went on. And once Marco hit puberty, Jamie just went back to being a friend of the family. Everything went back to normal. And Marco had to internalize that in some way, had to figure out he must have done something wrong. Right, because things were totally normal and then I had three or four years of pure hell and now things are normal again and he just took all those memories and buried them as deep as he could so deep he'd forgotten that it had even happened so deep that he would even find himself back over at his abuser's house because he's a friend of the family Wouldn't even think twice about it. Why would he? Jamie never did anything to me. He buried it that deep. But when he saw that photograph, when he saw a photograph of Jamie and Marco's six-year-old nephew, it all came flooding back. And he knows what's going to happen to this little boy in the picture. He knows the hell that will await this child if he doesn't do something about it. May 22nd, 2011, Marco sets up a video camera and records himself saying, quote, today is the day. I'm off now. I'm going to go for a bliss walk. And then I'm going to head down there. Marco loads up the video camera and a couple other tools he's decided to bring along with him, and he heads over to Jamie's house. This 17 year old boy, powered by rage and adrenaline, is quickly able to take down this 31 year old man. But this isn't going to be a quick kill, Marco decided. He didn't want to just take Jamie's life, he wanted to take his legacy. He ties up Jamie and then sets up the video camera. Hits record and says, you need to confess to what you did to me. Jamie's like, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. You broke into my house. You tied me up. Let me go. No, you know why I'm tying you up. You know why I have this camera going. You need to admit what you did to me. You need to tell the camera. You need to tell everyone what you did to me all those years back when I turned nine. I remember it now. I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. Marco, just let me go. He denies it. He's denying it. He's denying it. And Marco is pressing harder and harder and harder. I know you did this. Admit it, admit it, admit it. And this goes on until finally, I mean, Jamie, he's a child predator, right? These people aren't known for their strength, for their fortitude, right? He does crack under the pressure. And he does. He looks into the camera and he admits to it. He goes, yes, I did molest Marco. Did it for years. And you have to wonder how much of his, now that I'm saying this out loud, you have to wonder how much of his confession he thought, if I just say what Marco wants me to. Like, he obviously did it, right? I'm not saying that. I do believe he did it. But I'm wondering if he thought at this point, is a bit of a spoiler, I guess, but if he would get out of this alive, If he thought all that Marco wanted was a confession and then he was going to turn it into the police and he could go, listen, the guy tied me up. He broke into my house. Like, of course, I was going to admit to whatever he wanted me to. Maybe he thought he could still walk away from this. But when Marco pulled out a knife and pressed it to Jamie's throat, Jamie had to know that this, this was the end. Marco puts the knife to Jamie's throat and begins to drag it across, but he can't get it deep enough. It's very hard to slit a human's throat deep enough to kill them. You're not just cutting the skin. You have to really get in there. And most people don't know that. And he's slicing Jamie's throat, but it's very messy and extremely painful, and he's not doing it right. And Jamie is pleading for his life. But again, he realizes at this point there's no way he's going to get out of this. And I think maybe in a last gasp of some sort of humanity, because he is a monster, maybe he does realize that this is his this is justice in some sense right he's being killed by one of the children he abused maybe he's probably just a big old sicko. i don't i don't think i should give him any noble motives but whatever the case is he pleads with marco not don't kill me but don't slit my throat this is there's blood everywhere this is extremely painful and it's kind of gross and I just kill me another way. He's begging for death at this point, but not to have his throat slit and it's too painful. There's just too much blood. So he asks, this is weird. Another thing about it, maybe this was some weird sex thing for him, but he asks Marco, can you just strangle me instead? What's interesting when Marco was putting together his kill kit, he had the camera, he had the knife, he had the rope. He also brought along a dog chain which is another restraint device, obviously, right? It's like a dog leash chain, but it's not something I would bring. I don't, I mean, it's so specific, right? But the dog chain comes in. (laughs) This is the reason why I'm not a vigilante killer. I can't pack well. Uh, The dog chain comes in useful because he realizes that's fine. I won't won't slit your throat, but I will strangle you. He wraps. This is all on camera, by the way. The video camera has not been shut off. This is, the police were able to view all this, it might be online somewhere. He tries to the guy's throat. It's not working out well. Jamie asks to be strangled, and Marcos then puts the dog chain around his neck and yanks it tight until Jamie stops moving. Marco then walks over to the camera, talks directly into the lens, and says, it felt good to do this. It felt good to do this, and... I did it to protect other children. He also says, quote, "I can think so much clearer now." You have to imagine, like all this. You even with the repressed memories. Once he realized what he was repressing, you figure that would have just, that must have been such a psychic strain on him. And then remembering what happened. This all happened in the month of May. Like he saw this photo sometime in May, and by May 22nd, he's killing his abuser. He can think so much clearer now. He drags Jamie onto the bed, douses him in lighter fluid, and then leaves. Marco returns the next morning. Steals Marco's computer and his television set. And then sets the apartment on fire. I don't know why he did the spread across two days. There's really no. I don't think in his kill kit he's like camera check. Rope check. Knife check. Dog chain. Double check. And he never thought, oh, I should probably bring a lighter. I have all this lighter fluid. I don't think it was that. I'm I, not exactly for sure why he did that. We understand why he get. We'll get to why he stole the computer, though. He uh, set the apartment on fire. The body is found, obviously. There's a fire in an apartment. That's the most dangerous thing he did. Like, yeah, he killed this child molester, whatever, but um don't set apartments on fire right so that's a safety lesson from your good old pal jason there are other people there are other people living there anyways fire department showed up put out the fire the burned body of jamie is found this is one of those things right that marco could have gotten away with but he turned himself in 18 hours after the body is found because at the end of the day he's a good person He murdered this guy, but he's a good person, and good people want to get stuff off their chest, so they will confess. Bad people confess, too, but he turns himself in, and he gives them Jamie's computer says, yeah, I killed him. He's a real disgusting guy. I have a video. I have a video of me murdering him. Starts off with him confessing to these horrendous crimes. But I figured none of that might hold up in court. Well, I mean, obviously, this video of me murdering him, that'll hold up. But here's his computer. And they did. the Because, you know, he's making all these allegations. The community's completely shocked. This good kid murdered this good man, as far as anyone knew. They took his computer in and the police started doing a forensic analysis of the computer and they found all of these encrypted chats with other pedophiles. So Marco wasn't making it up. It wasn't some weird delusion. It wasn't like he had some psychotic break and made all these stories up. No, the guy was a pedophile. And there were these chats I don't think they found any child porn. I don't but I I don't think they found any child porn on the computer. But um, not like that Not like that makes him any better, right? He's still a pervert. But he's talking to these people online about how he liked boys around the age of 10 years old. He said they were easy, and they often asked for it. I mean, it's just a disgusting piece of shit type of person, right? And all these people he was talking to, they were still out there. There weren't an army of Marcos taking them out one by one. All those human debris or stuff. Hopefully they found justice by now. Again, the story took place back in 2011, but um, and so he's he's writing this, and he says that you know uh, I'm not going to repeat it. You guys remember, and then he also said that this is so creepy. This is so creepy. Whether or not you feel like vigilanteism should be endorsed, jeez, this is nuts. So remember what started this whole thing was. Marco finding the picture of him and of Jamie and Marco's nephew, six-year-old nephew. Jamie said to some of the pedophiles online that, quote, there are some good ones coming up, unquote. So he was looking at these six-year-old, seven-year-old boys in the neighborhood, saying, uh, you know, because he doesn't like them until they're nine, ten years old. Disgust, like, disgusting, right? There are some good good ones coming up. So Marco's nephew was one hundred percent going to get molested by this dude. Like he was part of the grooming process. Isn't just the child, but you groom yourself with the family as well. He was he was a hundred. He was ten toes into this community. People just trusted him. Everyone loved him. They also. This is again, in, absolutely insane. The police when they were doing this forensic analysis on the computer, this all came up in the trial. (laughs) I don't think they went to Marco's cell and been like, hey, you did us a favor. Um, This all came up in the trial, but apparently not only was there the comment that there are some good ones coming up, meaning there are some other kids in his neighborhood he can't wait to molest, they also found that very recently, like shortly before him getting murdered, shortly before Jamie getting murdered, Jamie uploaded a photo of Marco... Uploaded a photo of Marco himself when he was a young boy. Jamie wrote when he uploaded the photo, the caption read, He was so beautiful then. It's creepy to think, right? Marco didn't even remember any of this. And this dude was talking about him online. Like reminiscing like you would over an ex-girlfriend. He didn't remember... Marco did not remember a single thing. This guy was posting photographs of him as a boy. Absolutely insane. And you can understand why. People did not want this dude prosecuted. People in the community were like, listen, we know vigilanteism is wrong. Because here's the thing. Vigilantes... This is a good example of a vigilante. A bad example of vigilante is a lynch mob. Someone going, that guy did something... And then people going and hanging him. That's the problem with vigilantes. It's, we have these cases where there's evidence. But imagine if there was no computer. Imagine if there was just a video of a guy begging for his life and saying, please don't kill me. I didn't do anything to you. And then after 10, 15 minutes of that, he goes, fine, fine, fine. I molested you. Let me go. And then then him getting his throat slit and then strangled instead. To this day, people would go, we don't believe. There would be people in that community who would not believe Marco. They'd be like, he was psychotic and he killed that guy. But because we have, like, he saved the computer, right? He had that evidence. But vigilantes, you know, they can go either way. You can have good vigilantes and horrific vigilantes, But the people didn't want him prosecuted. They go, listen, this guy was a sick sick scumbag and he abused Marco for years. And Marco grew up and got strong enough. And Marco took action. He took out a pedophile who was going to prey on other kids. And, you know, the the DA, the district attorney, Ian Palumam, basically said, we got to prosecute this guy. (laughs) Like, you just can't not prosecute people who break into other people's houses, premeditated murder, break into other people's houses, set up a video camera, and murder them. You just can't do that. And DAs are constantly, I know people, you know, DAs constantly are making decisions over who to prosecute, and sometimes they drop the ball, for sure. And sometimes they may overly prosecute other people, but it's on camera, (laughs) too. I mean, you brought in a video camera... The whole thing was recorded. He could have gone away with it, remember, too. Would they have been able to track it back to just some random teenager in the neighborhood? But anyways, um, he goes, you can't just go out and kill people. We can't. We have to prosecute them. And they did. And in 2013, this was the best outcome possible, really, with the laws that we have. In 2013... Marco pled guilty to voluntary manslaughter. I mean, this was premeditated murder, 100%. First degree. The reason why he could get voluntary manslaughter or plead down to that, one is public sentiment, right? If the people wanted to hang him, if the people wanted him in prison, right? If the public opinion was against him, the DA could have pushed harder, but you're going to have a hard time finding a jury. And two, voluntary manslaughter would basically be like I went crazy because all of this stuff happened. And yes, I meant to kill him, but I was under stress because of everything that happened to me. I think voluntary manslaughter is fair. He got sentenced to 15 years in prison, which as long as you do not have that L after it, you will get out. If it's 15 to life, you may never, ever, ever get out. But if they give you just... It's better to take 20 years than 10 to life because they just they have the option of keeping you in there until you die 20 years you're going to get out maximum 20 years you keep your nose clean you don't get caught with any drugs contraband killing people in prison anything like that right you'll do you'll probably do 70 percent of that maybe less depending on the crime but 20 years is better than 10 to life Because you just may never get out. Anyways, he got 15 years in prison. So, you know, it's crazy. This is what I love about doing true crime podcasts, right? This story happened in 2011. He'll he'll be out max in five years. If he's kept his nose clean in prison, he'll be out in five years. And he will be welcomed back into that community with open arms. Because he killed a pedophile. He killed a monster. A true monster. He was planning on doing this to other kids. Like, you can't get any worse than that. A predator in a tight-knit community doing whatever he wanted. No one suspected him. And it was so awful what he did that not even Marco suspected anything because he'd blocked it all out. They never say if there were other victims of his in that community. But I'd be shocked if there weren't. I hope there weren't. But I'd be shocked if there weren't. But I hope there weren't. Like, obviously, I hope. Insane story, though, isn't it? A a vigilante videotapes himself murdering his abuser. And it's true. He did it to save other kids. And in the end, he saved other kids. It's an insane story of a kid who grew up and then remembered everything he forced himself to forget. But then he did something about it. The memories came flooding back and he did something about it. He saved people. He saved, God, who knows how many kids. Who knows how many other kids. I'm going through this torment. There are some good ones coming up, is what Jamie had wrote to his fellow pedophiles online. He couldn't wait until those boys turned 10 years old, but little did Jamie know he wouldn't live to see even his next birthday. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.